Squadron Leader Jack Steele and the Starblade by Chris Bedett. Episode 3, A History Lesson. With the assistance of Dr. Brunel, Jack Steele and mechanic Charlie Bilkins have begun to uncover the secrets of the mysterious vessel that caused the destiny to crash. But there are those whose plans are threatened by their investigation and who have taken steps to prevent it. Now Jack races to the rescue of Yvette Dulac, owner of Dulac Aerospace and currently in the power of the enigmatic Helga von Schmidt. Ah! Yvette! By God, if I'm too late, I'll never forgive myself. No weapons to hand either, except... No, wait, of course! What is this? Who are you? Squadron Leader Jack Steele, madam. Now untie Mr. Lack at once. Yvette, are you alright? I am not dead, Jack. Silence! I might have guessed your identity, Herr Steele. Who else would have charged headlong into danger, armed with just some sort of bat? Whereas I, on the other hand, have this finely crafted automatic pistol. Stand where you are, mine hair. Drop your weapon, and my minions will take you prisoner. Some kind of bat? Damn you for a foreigner, Fraulein. This is three feet of finest English willow. And furthermore... Get them, Jacques. Knock them for the seven. That's shown them. Here, let me untie you a bit. Never mind me, Jacques. Get after her. Too late, I'm afraid. Do you know who these people are? Or where, at least? The woman called herself Helga von Schmidt, and she wanted to know about the destiny and that thing you saw in the sky yesterday. As for those fellows, I do not know who they are, but they did seem very strange. Yes, I didn't expect that one's head to come clean off when I cracked a swing at it. Just as well it did, though, especially as it sailed across the room and hit Helga in the face. What would you have done if her shot had been on target? She was pointing a gun right at you. It takes very little courage to point a gun, Mr. Lack. A lot more to actually shoot an unarmed man in cold blood. Yes, but then again she did. Shoot, I mean. Ah, well, yes. As it turns out, she did. But all's well, eh? Now, let's get you untied. Professor Sterling lives nearby, and I'm supposed to be having supper with him this evening. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I brought you along. And that was about it. I managed to place a radiographic track on his car, but other than that and the information I have told you, my mission was a failure. I was a failure. Not at all, my dear. Mr. Jack Steele has been on my list for some time now. It doesn't surprise me that he's turned out to be involved in this. Your list, Mordred? Yes. My list of candidates for death, followed by reconstitulation as a mind-controlled slave. It's worked rather well with the politicians I've recruited so far. No one seems to have noticed the difference. In fact, some of the members of the House of Lords have been complimented on their newfound vigour. Still. I've hesitated to try it on any popular heroes like Jack Steele, even though they will be of immeasurable help in swaying public opinion to our cause. But wasn't I a popular hero to the Russian people? Yes, hence one of the most compelling reasons not to try it again. And do you mean to say then that it was you who had me murdered? Of course. What of it? Well... You could have hired people who were a bit more competent, you know. 
One works with what one has to hand, Grigori. Speaking of which, I want you to take this portable tracking unit and find Jack Steele. Find him and dispose of him. I don't want any loose ends this close to our hour of victory. Duh. Mordred. Yes, my emperor. Tell me how our plan progresses. And that was about it, Professor. After that, Mr. Lack and I headed straight here in Guinevere. You could have let me know you'd be late, Jack. I've had the devil's own job working out what all these knives are for. Quite so, quite so. In truth, I wanted you here to explain a few things, but events seem to have overtaken me somewhat. To start with, what you saw yesterday was no ordinary aircraft. Dr. Brunel has spoken to me about it, and I have no doubt that the appearance of a Kraxorian scout ship in our skies presages a time of great trials for not just the British Empire, but the civilised world as a whole. Well, I'm glad you brought us here to explain, Prof. I just about understood one word in five there. Well, maybe it would be better if I put things in an historical context. Fifteen hundred years ago, give or take, this world faced invasion by an alien power, a technologically advanced race who had brought countless star systems under their brutal control, the Quaxorian Empire. Like the Mars peoples in that story by your Monsieur Wells? Precisely, madame. Although the Quaxorians are no mere fiction, but a terrifying reality. So... If they had the means to travel across space that long ago, how come they didn't win? At least I assume they didn't. No, indeed. They were fought off by a great king. A great king who was assisted by the mightiest of all wizards. King Charlemagne? No, Miss Dulac. Arthur. First king of Britain and saviour of the earth. Ever since the alien threat was vanquished, there are those of us who have kept one eye to the skies, watching for signs of their return. And one to the ground, keeping an eye on the descendants of the great heroes of the bygone age. Descendants who might follow in their ancestors' footsteps should the threat arise again. Does anyone mind if I smoke? It, it helped me concentrate and I am afraid that this story is making my head spin. Of course not. Go ahead, my dear. Here, let me. I see that you have your family crest inscribed on your lighter there, Jack. This? My grandfather told me it was a family joke. Just a plain circle. A shield which the designer couldn't think of anything to decorate with. Thought I may as well carry on the tradition, though. Far from a joke. Yours is one of the most ancient crests that there is. The earliest egalitarian symbol. That is the emblem of the round table. What? Hold on. You're saying that Jack is related to King Arthur? No, and he should think himself lucky. The man was a pompous ass. Jack is rather the direct descendant of Gawain, vanquisher of the Green Knight and hero of the realm. Gosh! Really? But no matter how heroic they were, how did these men defeat an alien civilization with their spaceships and heat rays? You are forgetting the magician, madam. Merlin wielded magical powers beyond the alien's comprehension. With the sheer force of his will, he steered a comet through the Quaxorian battle fleet, destroying many of their ships and leaving Arthur and the knights to destroy their armies of zombie slaves on the ground. Oh, well, that's easy then. We find this Erlin bloke's descendants and get them to start flexing their magical muscles again. Uh, sadly, Merlin had no children. And even if he had, they wouldn't have little power in the modern world. Consciously or not, humanity has forsaken the path of magic for the path of technology. And without that belief, no such mighty spells are possible anymore. Technology must face technology. But come on, Prof. 
I'm sure we'll do our best to give them a bloody nose, but one of the most advanced aeroplanes in the world fell out of the sky yesterday just from getting too close to one of those things. The technology does exist, Jack. In his secret workshop beneath Lake Windermere, Dr. Brunel is putting the final touches to a weapon that may hold the key for defeating the aliens once more. However, without magic to help, I doubt that it will be enough. But you said there is no magic, Prof. Not quite. There is one artifact that was the only true merging of technology and magic. The Sword of Arthur. Excalibur. With it, we can... Did anyone hear that? Uh, hear what? what? A noise outside. Hmm, never mind. Suffice it to say that it is imperative that the sword is retrieved. It was thrown back into the lake that it was conjured from. The lake still exists near Glastonbury in Somerset. Merlin has attempted to retrieve Excalibur but failed. However, a true knight of Arthur may have more luck. That's you, my boy. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go there right away! What? Before pudding, I've still got three spoons to get through. Although I think one of them was meant for the soup. You're alright back there, Bilkins? Well, yes, I'm still here. Well, I've read the owner's manual for this car, Jack, and I'm pretty sure this rack I'm holding onto was meant to be for the luggage. Well, you wouldn't want to begrudge Mr. Lacker's seat, obviously. And I'm doing the driving. Yeah, but you're driving her like one of your plates. And none of us have parachutes. We're in a hurry, old chap. Yeah, I realised that when we were going for an hour, and he still hadn't touched a brake pedal. Just hold on, we're nearly there. Yes, there's the lake ahead. I'll just pull over by that pier. Maybe there's a boat or something we can borrow. I... Wait! Good grief! Jack! Slow down, Jack! I can't! Great Scott! Mad monk to base. Mad monk to base. Base here. Go ahead, Gregory. Mission accomplished. Steel, his girlfriend, and their manservant have been sent to a watery grave. And whilst sabotaging their car, I overheard something that I think will be of great interest to you, Mordred. In a history lesson, Jack Steele was played by Neil Frankham, Charlie Bilkins by James Harvey, and Yvette Dulac by Lucy Burton. Mordred was played by Nigel Potter, Rasputin by Tom Butterworth, and Helga von Schmidt by Lauren Orton. Professor Sterling was played by Robin Orton and the narrator was Guy Ranawira. Sound production by Frank Redding and original music composed and performed by Bill McSweeney. The episode was directed by Wayne Bolt. Squadron leader Jack Steele and the Starblade is an It's a Trap production.